Welcome to the Why They Are So Angry podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carol Francois, a proud baby boomer with over 30 years experience as an educator and learning leader. And I'm Courtney Square, your resident first generation millennial. Join us as we present an unvarnished look at systemic racism in America throughout history and up to modern times. We invite you to pull up a chair, put in your earbuds, and allow us to enlighten, educate, and explore the real reasons why Black African Americans are so angry. Because until you know the whole history, it isn't American history at all. Courtney, the intersection of race and gender present an interesting way to look at systemic racism in America. That's why you and I decided to devote the next five episodes to Black Girl Magic, the inventions, organizations, and movements impacted and made great by Black African-American women. We all know that famous quote, that necessity is the mother of invention. And I think that this episode is going to prove that over and over again. I agree with you. This week, we'll take a look at female scientists and inventors their struggles and triumphs in spite of systemic racism. And hopefully our listeners will find some new sheroes with the ladies we introduced to them today. I know I have. Me too, Courtney. In general, the history of science is actually, unfortunately, rife with well-documented cases of misogyny, prejudice, and bias. For instance, centuries ago, biologists promoted the false theories of female inferiority, And scientific institutions typically barred women's participation. I'm sure the race did as well. Yep, yep, it did. Racial bias has been at least as pernicious as gender bias. We can't forget it was scientists who came up with the concept of race as a biological category that was not simply descriptive, but also hierarchical. In other words, based on pseudoscience, whites were at the top of the hierarchy and blacks at the bottom. I want to say I'm shocked, but I'm not. No, no need to be shocked. Recently, the scientific community has begun to look at itself a bit more objectively, though, and um, as it relates to to race and gender bias. uh, For example, in June 2020, thousands of researchers and academics across the globe, as well as the preeminent journal Science and Nature, they all stopped work for a day to protest racism in their ranks. Now, the American Physical Society endorsed those efforts as a way to, quote, shut down STEM and declared its commitment to, quote, eradicating systemic racism and discrimination in science. That's a start. Yes, it is. It's a baby step, but a step all the same. Now, Courtney, we sometimes tend to think of science and inventions in that rarefied atmosphere of Nobel Prizes for chemistry, physics, nuclear discoveries, and the like. But it's the way science and inventions impact and improve our everyday lives that we need to remember and not only remember, but recognize as what I call minor miracles. For example, Lida D. Newman came up with an invention that was simple yet revolutionary. In 1898, she patented her new and improved hairbrush. Now the brush had evenly separated bristles slots that kept dirt and hair neatly contained, and a detachable compartment for easy cleaning. 
Now the artificial bristles Newman used were similar to the plastic ones used today. Now, this invention didn't put a man on the moon, but it sure made doing my hair a lot easier. So I'm grateful to Lida Newman and her improved hairbrush. Now, speaking of hair, Courtney, I think you have a story that relates to hair and beauty products and an unsung heroine of that industry and the science behind it. I do, and Carol, that was a great segue. Now, the lady I'm covering in my story today is someone who really gets her due when it comes to her patents and inventions. She's actually overshadowed by another woman in the same field who's no less talented, but gets a lot more recognition. So let me ask you a question. How would you feel if you started a company that helped your community, educated thousands, created several patents, and made millions of dollars only to have one of your former clients and trainees take credit for an idea and eventually you have to split your earnings with a person that you thought loved you the most? Boy, I would be hotter than all get out. So hmm, I can't wait to hear this story. Well, in short, that's the story of Annie Malone. Not many people know her. And what they do is a mixture of myth and movies. So I'm glad I get to share the story of this often unsung inventor, philanthropist, multimillionaireist, and the woman who is called by those in the know, the mother of African-American cosmetics, hair care, and the beauty industry. Okay, let's hear all about Annie. Now, Annie Turnbow was born in 1869 to formerly enslaved parents. From an early age, her curiosity for chemistry and beauty was sparked. And at the age of 12, she made it known that she would be a beauty doctor. Sadly, though, due to a childhood illness, her parents had to remove her from school. But that did not stop Annie. Even though she was no longer in school formally, uh, her aunt, a well-known herbalist, helped her to continue her journey towards becoming a beauty doctor. And before the age of 20, Annie already had developed her own liquid shampoo. Hmm. Wow. Now, the question to straighten or not to straighten and how to straighten is a question that Black African-American women have struggled with since we've arrived in this country up until this very day. I'm sure somewhere right now, a Black woman is wondering whether to go natural or relax. Black hair in itself could be its own podcast. You're right about that. You are right about that. But that was Annie's next project. How could Black women achieve the straight styles they wanted safely? Now, in her day, women were using everything from bacon grease and hot clothing irons to potatoes and lye to achieve that look. And both both are very dangerous methods for hair care. Annie's goal was to find a safe way not only to straighten hair, but to keep it healthy and to get it to grow. 
Now, back in the 1900s, black hair salons and styling products were not the norm. So when Annie arrived on the scene in St. Louis, which had the fourth largest black population at the time in 1903, she came to change the game. And with the 1904 World's Fair in town, she knew she could do it. Now, Annie called her system Poro which was derived from a West African Mende word, which was a kind of a shout out or a, a undercover male secret society that thrived on being healthy from the inside out. And Annie wanted her agents to connect with those African African roots, even though that was not trendy at the time. Now, we all know that the beauty salons of today are on every corner, but Annie and her agents went door to door. And that's when she met a lady while she was going door to door by the name of Sarah Breedlove, who was suffering with what was known at the time as Tedder. And we would call that dandruff and psoriasis of the scalp. And Sarah was using alcohol-based tonics that were only causing more problems. Now, Annie knew exactly what to do for Sarah's issue. She provided her with the Poro product line and a regimen that included her wonderful hair grower. Now, young Sarah was shocked when her scalp was healed and her once ear-length hair was now past her shoulders. Now, after these amazing results, Sarah knew she had to work and learn from Annie, and soon she became one of Annie's top sales agents. Now, sadly, the women parted ways in 1905, and we really don't know why, but Sarah picked up her bags and traveled to Denver with uh, ideas to make her own way in the world, and she did. Now, Annie could not suppress her anger when she began to see advertisements in the African-American newspapers for Madam C.J. Walker's wonderful hair grower and other products. That's Mm. right, ladies and gentlemen, Sarah Breedlove, the young woman who was suffering from tetter, was none other than Madam C.J. Walker, who Annie had helped train and grow her hair. And now Madam C.J. Walker was promoting her own hair care line. Now, as an inventor, Annie felt that this was a direct copy of her system. So she took out an ad in the paper to tell future clients to be wary of wary of imposters. But she also patented her system so this wouldn't happen in the future. Smart move. Very smart move. Now, I know the Netflix film Self Made, which is a sensationalized story of Madam C.J. Walker's life, painted Annie as a villain. And they even changed her name to a woman named Addie. And she was a foil and an antagonist for Madam C.J. Walker at every turn. But that is a fictional portrayal. Annie and Madam C.J. Walker did not have any issues moving forward. Now, Annie continued to thrive in 1914. She married a man by the name of Aaron Eugene Malone. And in 1917, she opened the first Poro College, which was the first school dedicated to the study of teaching black cosmetology. The campus included a manufacturing plant, a retail store, and that's where Poro products were not only sold, but made business offices and a 500 seat auditorium as well as dining and meeting rooms as well as a roof garden dormitory gymnasium 
bakery and chapel. So it was a multi-purpose space for the African-American community of St. Louis. Um, they wow. were- <laughs> So places they weren't allowed to go, you could get anything from your hair done, married, buried, and have a wedding reception all at the college. Oh, well, Annie was way ahead of her time. Way ahead of her time. Now, the college's curriculum addressed the whole student. Students were coached on personal style and how to work for the company, how to walk and talk and how to dress. Think of them as old school Instagram influencers. Poor, the poor old college itself employed nearly 200 people in St. Louis alone. Mm, no, she's a business powerhouse. She is a business maven. Look out, Kim Kardashian, Annie Turo. I think she she did it first. Now, going into the 1920s, Auntie, Annie's future looked so bright. Poro was worth $14 million, which in today's money is $186 million. Woohoo! She was happily married and opening more college campuses. She was a multimillionaire. And according to a Philadelphia newspaper, she paid the highest income tax of any African-American in the United States in the 1920s. Now, none of that bothered Annie, though, because she was finally able to step back from the day to day goings on of running her company and give that responsibility over to her husband. And she could focus on her community surface and philanthropic projects, which included a $25,000 donation to the St. Louis YWCA and many contributions to the nation's historically Black colleges and universities. Now, in 1919, she became the president of the board for the St. Louis Colored Orphans Home. And in 1922, she donated most of the money to rebuild the orphanage to a more up-to-date facility. And the location actually sits on 2612 Annie Malone Drive, which was formerly Good Avenue. Now she continued, and it continues actually to serve the neighborhood to this day. Now Annie upgraded and expanded the facility and she actually renamed it the Annie Malone Children and Family Service Center. Despite all of this good, Annie's absence from her business left her open to a blow that threatened to take everything she had created and it would come from a place that she would least expect. Whoa. Well, Courtney, Annie Malone's story is coming as quite a surprise to me as it probably does to most of our listeners. A lot of what you've described is often actually attributed to Madam C.J. Walker. So I guess the history books got it a little bit wrong again, but it sounds also like this rags to riches story is about to take a turn for the worse. So let's take a break and come back to get the scoop. Want to learn more about systemic racism? Or maybe you want to leave us a comment, rate our show, subscribe, get lots of swag, or reach out to us on social media. Well, you can. Go to our website, www.podpage.com, why are they so angry, and connect with Courtney and me. You can even sign up to take our course, Systemic Racism, See It, Say It, Confront It. All that waiting for you at www.podpage.com, why are they so angry? See you there. Okay, Courtney, we're back. Your story about Annie Malone is already quite dramatic. 
I can't imagine what could happen next. So fill us in. Well, in 1927, we all know there's no internet, but the public's thirst for gossip and tea, as we call it now, of the rich and famous has not changed. So anyone who opened the St. Louis Star and Times on January 13th, 1927, would have gotten their fill of this headline. Aaron Malone, wealthy Negro seeks divorce. The the article further divulged that despite being prominent members of African-American high society in public, the Malones had been living apart for a year and had not spoken. Aaron was seeking $2 million in a divorce settlement. And that's in 1927 money. Aaron claimed that Annie was a woman with an ungovernable temper. And he had come home one night to find his clothes moved into the students' quarters of the school and locked out of his home. He claimed that those moves constituted desertion and grounds for divorce. Boy, that's a juicy story to hit the newspaper, I'm sure. It certainly is. Now, Aaron claimed that it was his connections that helped Annie become successful by giving her access to spaces to sell her products and build a school. He also claimed that he owned 97 shares in the company, and that's a fact that Annie flat out denied. But Aaron still wanted half of everything she had in that divorce. Aaron reached out to Black prominent leaders of the day who sided with him and supported these claims, which forced Annie's company to dissolve for a time and the college to be put into what's called a receivership until a divorce settlement could be reached. Now, Annie was not going to go down without a fight. This was her company and she was going to fight for it. Now, she had such a good reputation and devotion from the black women and charities in her community. They created a groundswell of support and they all banded together students, staff, clubs, news media. And her biggest ally was Mary McLeod Bethune of Bethune-Cookman College. She was the president of the National Association of Colored Women. Having the support of such a powerful woman helped Annie prevail in this dispute and allowed her to keep her business. And she negotiated a settlement with her ex-husband for $200,000. Oh, thank goodness. It worked out. It worked out. Now, in 1930, Annie moved to Chicago and created what was known as the Poro Block. Malone's mansion, which sat at 4411 South Parkway, which is now King Drive, was once owned by a gentleman by the name of John R. Thompson, a prominent businessman who did not allow Blacks to eat in his restaurants. Despite receiving a warm reception from the city and once again being a part of Black high society, things didn't take off for Annie the way they did in St. Louis. And between mismanagement and lawsuits and a fire that burned down her mansion, along with a tax lien from the federal government, Annie lost her companies and her both of her massive properties, both in St. Louis and Chicago. She had to pay off those debts, and one of her former students sued her again, saying that she stole their idea. 
Now, sadly, Annie died of a stroke at Provident Hospital on May 10th, 1957. Now, there were still Pearl Beauty Colleges operating in some 30 cities at the time of her death. And while Malone rests in peace at Burr Oak Cemetery, um, people are petitioning for her to be put in more prominent uh, cemeteries like the one that Madam C.J. Walker is in. But I don't want to end on a sad note. Because this is a celebration of women. So here are some facts about Annie Malone that I want to leave you and our listeners with. Annie Malone was the first person in Missouri to own a Rolls Royce. She was pre- she presented her Poro employees with diamond rings upon reaching five years of service. She gave, wow. la- she gave lavish awards for punctuality and students who invested in the stock market. She was the president of the Colored Women's Federation Clubs of St. Louis. Um, She was an executive committee women of the National Negro Business League. And she was on the commission for for interracial cooperation. She's also an honorary member of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, which was founded January 16th, 1920 on the campus of Howard University. She also has a connection to both gospel and rock and roll royalty. Now, legend has it that Thomas Dorsey wrote his famous hymn, Precious Lord, Take My Hand, while at one of her mansions in Chicago. And as for her connection to rock and roll, Chuck Berry was trained as a beautician under the Poro system, graduating in 1952. Wow, what an illustrious list of accomplishments. And St. Louis will not let Annie's memory go. Although we might know not we might not know a lot about her, they keep her memory alive. On May 20th, the city hosts an annual Annie Malone Day parade and a major fundraiser for charities that she supported while she was still alive. Well, Courtney, that story about Annie Malone was not only inspiring, but, you know, it's been under the radar screen for far too long. St. Louis isn't the only place that should know about Annie Malone, and I'm glad we've done this podcast and included information about her. Now, her determination and grit remind me of three female scientists who, like her, are only recently getting recognized for their accomplishments. Now, since Malone made an impact through her knowledge of chemistry, let me tell you about some unsung women chemists who, like Annie Malone, most people probably don't know about. Here's one in particular. Around the turn of the 20th century, leprosy was a major public health concern in Hawaii. Now, a chemist named Alice Ball was an instructor at the College of Hawaii. It later became the University of Hawaii. And she took on the challenge of trying to cure that that particular disease. And uh, she did it by looking at the active components in a medicinal plant called the kava root. Now, sadly, Ball died suddenly at the age of 25 and uh, her work was taken up by a male scientist who, as is often the case, tried to take credit for her discoveries. But that was not to be and uh, Ball's work became a standard treatment for leprosy until the 1940s. And in 2000, Hawaii Lieutenant Governor Maisie Hirono named February 29th Alice Ball Day. Now, another chemist following in the footsteps of Annie Malone is Marie Maynard Daly. And she was the first black woman in the US to earn a PhD in chemistry from Columbia University. 
And Daly, um, her claim to fame is, is it's a lot of things, but she showed the connection between high blood pressure and clogged arteries. And she also investigated the role of smoking in high blood pressure. Now, third chemist um, is Betty Washington Green, who finished her PhD in 1965. And her, her uh, thesis uh, focused on particle distribution and basically, she was the first Black woman to work for Dow Chemical, where she worked on ways to improve latex. Wow, and Carol, those accomplishments made by those women are so impressive. Right. They're very much like Annie Malone. They loved chemistry, just like she did. And they applied their uh, knowledge in very practical ways that helped people in very practical ways. I could go on for several episodes describing women just like them, but unfortunately, they represent only a handful of Black African-Americans in the scientific field. While 13% of the U.S. population is Black, just 4% of new PhDs in the natural sciences and engineering are Black. Well, why is that, Ann Carol? Well, let's look at physics, which exemplifies the problem well. African-Americans make up about 14% of the college-age population in the U.S., but in physics, they receive three to 4% of undergraduate degrees and less than 3% of PhDs. And in spite of the work stoppage last year in recognition of systemic racism in the science, there still is a refusal of some scientists to acknowledge that a problem could even exist. In other words, people are not getting into the programs so that they can excel. And that's part of the systemic racism. So, and Carol, why is diversity in the fields of science so important? Well, Joseph DeSimmon, who's a professor of radiology and chemical engineering at Stanford, says a successful scientific endeavor is one that attracts a diversity of experience. And by this, he means if you have a lot of different eyes looking at a problem from a lot of different and unique vantage points, the chances are greater for solving the problem. So what can colleges and universities do to foster that kind of diversity, especially when it comes to Black African-American women and girls? Well, there was a um, science and technology policy forum conducted in 2020, and the speakers at that forum offered these uh, pieces of advice. First of all, um, they suggest that grant-making institutions should seek anonymous grant applications without names of universities on them. And then that way, that would be done in a way that would not um, give away the background or race or gender of the person applying for the grant. Also, um, colleges and universities, they say, should rethink the weed out courses that are used to call students from STEM majors early on. Sometimes those students who really can be successful just need a little bit more time to stay in the program, but they're weeded out so early they don't even get a chance to prove themselves. Also, this panel suggested showing um, the diversity that is in science. Instead of just having uh, hallways lined with portraits of university administrators, mostly white and mostly male, uh, of the decades in the past, um, let students know that there are individuals like some of the ones that I told about that are actually successful, have been successful, and are models. And then finally, this panel says, replicate those strategies and programs that have been shown to work to get uh, diversity 
and uh, Black African-Americans, women and men into STEM programs. Well, I hope those colleges and universities take heed to those steps. I want to see some future Annie Malones. I do too. And it, and not only future Annie Malones, but pe- people like Katherine Johnson, who completed the NASA calculations necessary for several space missions. And uh, for Dr. Gladys West, who was responsible for the mathematics that brought about the invention of the global p- positioning system. If higher ed and the scientific community will adopt some of those recommendations and pay attention and admit that there is systemic racism and high bars for keeping out black African-Americans and women from their field, they can change that trajectory. Well, I hope that everyone takes heed to learning about these inventors and students take heed to getting into those STEM programs. Now, if you miss us in between our next episodes, as always, you can visit us at our website, which is www.podpage.com slash why are they so angry? That brings today's episode to a close. We hope you join us next time where we continue providing the answer to the question, why are they so angry? As always, we hope you learn something so you can see it, say it, and confront it.